Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Yes, welcome to episode 16 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the most Christmassy Eric Roberts-related podcast on the internet. That is a promise from me to you. It's also uh, the podcast where we get into the uh, the nitty-gritty when it comes to the life, works, and career of actor Eric Roberts. Uh, today on the show, uh, I usually at this point would say with me as always, Mr. Todd Rigney, but Todd's not here. I know, it's our holiday special, and Todd decided that it's more important to spend time with his wife than it is to lock himself away in a room and talk about Eric Roberts for 90 minutes, and I'm ashamed of him, but he is in the Windy City. He's in Chicago right now, and he does send his love. He promised me that he sent his love to all of you. But that means that uh, I was in a bit of a pickle, because I don't work well alone. Those of you who've listened to me on other podcasts know this. So, uh... We have something a little special planned today. Like I said, it is our holiday, our Christmas episode, our end of the year special, our last episode of the year 2015. Um, but of course, I'm not really solo at all. How could I be? Because I have at my side, virtually, <laughs> in, is, uh, I have with me a Toronto-based music journalist, film journalist, MMA journalist, an autism advocate, uh, Sarah Kirchark. You can find her work all over the place, uh, including over on Fightland, Consequence of Sound, uh, and on the AV Club. And you can follow her on Twitter, at FodderFigure, and I'm sure we'll uh, link that in the show notes. Welcome to the show, Sarah Kirchark. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Doug. You are not alone. I am here with you. I, I, the idea of being alone <laughs> on this podcast actually made me feel a little panicky, even just talking about it just then. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm not good alone. I mean, I think people who know me in real life, they know. They're like, Doug, he's, all, he's a pretty all, all right guy, but it's only when he's paired with somebody else. By himself, I just can't handle him. <laughs> so, But no one has to worry about that because I have you, Sarah. You okay. are here to pick up the, the slack, the Eric Roberts slack. Yes. Now, and apparently to diffuse you. Yes. Please diffuse me all you can. Sarah. Yes. What is your life history with Eric Roberts? Well, I actually had to do some research on this because <laughs> I cannot specifically remember a time when I didn't know Eric oh. Roberts, but I had no great epiphany moment. Mm. Um, I'm assuming the first time I saw him would have been on Oz, which was a huge formative thing in my youth, you know, mm-hmm. as most teenage girls do grow up watching prison dramas. Oh, yes. Um, but... The episode sounded familiar. I actually went to the Oz wiki to read up on it, and I remember the whole plot. I have no distinct memory of Eric Roberts in that role, though. <laughs> um, and then I think I must have seen him in the uh, TV movie version of In Cold Blood as well, because I went through quite a Truman Capote phase. Oh. Uh, but my most distinct Eric Roberts memory is actually less than perfect, which I went through a really bizarre phase with 
in the early zeros. Now, that is a very interesting. Actually, all of that was incredibly interesting. <laughs> it made me feel a little bad, actually, because we, of course, should have asked you to come on to talk about Oz or the television movie version of In Cold Blood, as opposed to what we actually had you watch, because this is the holiday special. Uh, yeah, but this was a pretty unique experience. It was a unique experience and was designed to be a unique experience, but I need to know a little bit more about your less than perfect semi-obsession. What, where did that come from? And you know, we did cover the pilot episode here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man a few episodes back. With I did notice that I was a little bummed that you'd already gotten to it. Oh no, 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 we didn't suggest. We didn't get to it. We got to the pilot. We have a okay. whole rest of a season. <laughs> Plus, I think, despite what uh, guest Will Harris said, I'm pretty sure Eric Roberts lasts at least two seasons. Is that correct? I believe he does, yes. Two, two, the we, whole time I was watching, he was there. Right, and I know you were a fanatic. Now, what made you stop watching Less Than Perfect? Um, I'm assuming I started sleeping through the night again for mm -hmm. a because that is why I started watching it. I forget what station it was on. It was on late, and this is how I go through most of my television obsessions. Oh. It's, I can't sleep. I find something, and I fixate on it. And I was actually... Um, dating my then boss my now husband at the time we had just started going out so I was like oh Sarah Rue I feel you girl and <laughs> so yeah I actually became quite fond of the idea of Eric Roberts as some sort of like surrogate version of my now husband well it's, it's a probably a good thing that you stopped watching it because if he did abandon Sarah Rue's character on it to only to be replaced by Patrick Warburton at some point I mean that would be that would be a little strange it would mean that the, your your path that you were following based on the sitcom, it might have taken you in all sorts of odd places. Yeah, and you know, I'm like really bizarrely neurotic about things like that, so I probably would have taken it as an omen and blown <laughs> it completely out of proportion. So I, I started falling asleep or the station stopped running it at a very good time for them and for us. Now, Sarah... I know from my own experience that, and I've had similar experiences to you where, you know, you, you can't sleep. So you end up watching something that maybe if you had, a, you were fully conscious or it was, say, eight o'clock at night, you might not watch. Yeah. But, but uh, did the show, was the show any good? Again, I've only ever seen the pilot. I had some pretty significant issues with the fact that it wasn't funny or interesting and I thought the <laughs> characters were bad and some of the performances weren't very good and I thought it was really flatly filmed and it wasn't very interesting to watch but I imagine that couldn't have been the case for the entire what how long did it last 12 seasons something like that it felt like 12 seasons <laughs> but I think that's a testament to the fact that you were pretty right in your initial assessment of the show um, I find Sarah Rue like luminous and charming and everything I think I might be a little bit in love with her so that sort of glosses over a lot of the show's faults and I think when you're half asleep and you see Andy Dick in sort of an office setting, mm -hmm. maybe if you're my age, you start to drift and think of news radio instead. So you're not even actually watching the show. You're just, you know, thinking about rocket fuel malt liquor or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, um, I cannot in good faith endorse the show as quality. But, you know, if you're trying to sleep in 2002, it's kind of good, I guess. Sarah. Yes. Christmas. Yes. Do you celebrate Christmas? I do. Yes. <laughs> no need to feel defensive about what I, I was just asking you. A, a, a not a very complex question at all. And I, it wasn't to suggest that you that there's anything wrong with celebrating Christmas. I'm just wondering, do you have any particular Christmas, um, something specific to you or your family that you do every Christmas that not everybody does? 
Well, yeah, I've actually got a story for you there. Yes. Um, as a child, I was so afraid of Santa Claus that I banned him from our house mm-hmm. um, for like years. Um, and so my parents, instead of doing anything rational by being like, that's okay, honey, he's not real, told me that Papa Smurf could come instead. <laughs> so yeah, for years, Papa Smurf did like side jobs for Santa and <laughs> brought me shit um, until I think I was like, I don't know seven years old and I decided to be super brave and go meet a Santa Claus at a mall and then then I was cool with Santa. I bet your parents were like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it was like hard in social situations. But, like I was already this super weird kid who wouldn't stop talking about Dune in like mm-hmm. kindergarten and then I'd be like, yeah, and then Papa Smurf comes to my house and brings me stuff because I don't like Santa. And yeah. Must have, it must have been just great for them. It made for some interesting elementary school conversations. Oh, yes, it did. Sarah, you write about mixed martial arts. I do. Now, where did your interest in that come from? Well, um, first of all, I think anyone who likes combat in any way who grows up in this country falls in love with George St. Pierre pretty mm-hmm. early, follows his path. But my main entrance interest in it came from when I was working as a professional pillow fighter in the Pillow Fight League. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarah Bellum, the scholar of pillow fighting. (laughs) I was the second smallest girl in the league. I was absolutely miserable because our fights, I mean, we had pro wrestling personalities, but our fights were real. The ends weren't predetermined. Nothing was choreographed about it. So I was just getting my ass kicked time and time again by bigger, stronger girls. And somehow it was I was like, hey, remember how Hoist Gracie was smaller than everyone? I should do that for pillow fighting. And I wandered off to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym and then just started going there instead of pillow fighting. And from there um, was not the greatest fighter ever and decided to write about it instead. And that's where I have been ever since. I bet anyone listening to this right now must think this Sarah Kerchark is a very interesting person. Yeah, but they might, like, have interesting in quotation marks. No, no, no. Not the people who listen to this fucking show. (laughs) They are fascinated right now. Now, (laughs) what were the years that you were in this professional pillow fighting league? Uh, I want to say I joined in 2006 and probably quit in late 2007, early 2008. Right. And I should also ask, how did you get involved with that in the first place? Well, um... The Mouth, Dan Lavransky, was the announcer for the Pillow Fight League. Um, And he also wrote for Chart Magazine, which is where I started out in music journalism and also where I found my husband, you know, the Eric Roberts type. Mm. Um, (laughs) That was our office. Narrowly Um, missing the Patrick Warburton type, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's all for the best. (laughs) It worked out really well for us. Um, And I had gotten drunk at an office party and told Mouth that I wanted to be a professional wrestler when I was like 20 years old and he had apparently never forgotten this so when (laughs) four years later he was doing announcing for the pillow fight league he was like why don't you come try out so I did and I showed up in like my Kurt Angle submit t-shirt and a Judas Priest belt buckle and (laughs) tried to armbar someone and didn't know how but apparently impressed them enough that they kept me around. Sarah Kirchark you're so great that I don't even want to talk about Eric Roberts. I just want to follow this thread of interesting material that you're feeding me right now. But unfortunately, this podcast is called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. And on episode 16 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, we, of course, have to cover all of the latest Eric Roberts news. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know already what I'm going to say. 
<laughs> She's listened to a couple episodes on Oh, the Roberts Report, everyone's favorite segment of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. But this isn't just any normal Roberts Report. It's a special holiday Roberts Report. Oh, lots of, oh my, lots of holiday-related Eric Roberts news. Actually, I do have to be entirely honest, and I'm speaking to you, the listener. Um, There hasn't been a lot of Eric Roberts news over the last couple of weeks. I don't know why that is. Maybe he's taking a little break over this holiday season, uh, or maybe he's just gearing up for what appears to be, from his IMDb page, a ridiculously busy 2016. Uh, who knows how much he's already packed away. Uh, we've certainly discussed it several times on this show, some of these upcoming projects. Uh, but the first thing I do want to mention on this uh, episode's Roberts Report is, you may remember a couple of episodes back, we had pop culture artist Brandon Bird on as our guest. Brandon was great, of course, taking us through the history of Law & Order and Eric Roberts' uh, connection to the Law & Order franchise. You may remember, if you did listen on that show, that, uh, Eric, that Eric Roberts and Brandon Bird met because Brandon Bird created a wonderful piece of art called The Ballad of Eric Roberts, which he then turned into a lunchbox, which he actually gave to the man himself. Well, if you like that piece of art, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do, you can now get that painting, a signed version by Brandon Burt himself, of that, uh, of that, a print of that painting right now for a mere $25 on his website. It's on sale. Now, you want to have a beautiful painted picture of Eric Roberts on your wall, framed, you want to look at it every day and think, oh, that reminds me of that episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man I enjoyed so much. So this would be a good time to go over and get that. Uh, this episode should be coming out just a few days before Christmas, so there still might be time. Uh, you want to jump, jump over to brandonbird.myshopify.com, and I, of course, will link you on that. Sarah, do you know Brandon um, Bird's work? Only because I listened to his episode um, and then went and looked at it. Oh, are you uh, now having now looked at it? Does it interest yeah, you? Yeah, it speaks to my soul in a very unique way. Hmm, that's a that's a very poetic way of <laughs> uh, saying that. Very nice. Now, if you uh, knew, if you uh, if you need your Eric Roberts fix over the holidays, and of course we all do, especially because you know that this is our last episode of 2016, and you need to have a fix in some way, uh, then you should check out the Lifetime movie. A Fatal Obsession, which is airing on the Lifetime Network on December 21st, which would actually be the night that this episode is being released, and as well on the 26th, which of course is known as Boxing Day here in Canada and in the UK, but not in the uh, USA for some goddamn reason. If you don't know what A Fatal Obsession is, the plot involves a mother and teen daughter believe they have finally escaped their abusive husband and father, Michael, after undergoing drastic plastic surgery... Michael begins a new hunt for his family. Uh, the film features Eric Roberts as Michael Ryan and, amusingly, an actor named Eric S. Robertson. So there's an Eric Roberts and an Eric Robertson in the cast of this movie. That plot, does that plot sound well, interesting I, to you, Sarah? I think I'm going to watch it simply because I really want to know now how he explains why he wants this drastic plastic surgery. Like, does he go to a nefarious plastic surgeon and go, oh, I have to, like disguise myself to go attack my wife and teen daughter now i have to say sarah that your interpretation of what i describe the plot as 
that's a very reasonable <laughs> interpretation. However, from now rereading it yes. in front of myself, I would suspect that it's the mother and teen daughter who oh. get the plastic surgery because otherwise I don't because you're right, it doesn't make any <laughs> fucking sense otherwise. Now, that doesn't mean that that I'm I, I, well, I don't know if I'm right because I have no idea what the details are. That doesn't mean that your interpretation is wrong, but your interpretation is certainly a lot more. Well, I think I'm also inspired that. because one of my favorite films this year was Phoenix, where right. the Holocaust right. survivor cabaret singer has undergone extensive reconstructive surgery from her time in a concentration camp and goes to track down her husband who gave her up to the Nazis. So I think I'm sort of conflating the two drastic plastic surgery stalking stories here. Now, now, if if a listener right now has the option to watch either Phoenix or A Fatal Obsession. Is there one that you would recommend? Well, I mean, over it depends on if you want like lifetime trash or a quality film. But yeah, Phoenix is incredible. You should probably watch that instead. Uh, but yes. I have another question for you. Which one of those two movies features oh, Eric Roberts? Oh, gee. See, that, that's totally different. I can guarantee you there's no Eric mm -hmm. Roberts in the German psychodrama I love so much. <laughs> Well, then I think yes. the pick is clear for the listeners of this show. Now, uh, Eric just recently was filming a movie called Behind the Mask, according to some guy's Instagram that I saw on Twitter. Uh, I would happily tell you all about Behind the Mask, but uh, there are about a thousand movies called Behind the Mask, uh, including some very good ones and many not good at all. Uh, in fact, I even think it was the name of that documentary about the making of a Batman fan film that I watched recently on Hulu that was intolerably boring. That's so sad. <laughs> and, well, it's, uh, some might remember, this would have been about uh, early 2000s. There was a really uh, well-made Batman fan film where Batman actually fights some predators in it. Uh, and I know that sounds incredibly geeky, but at the time, it was this huge thing because it looked semi-professional. Uh, it was directed by a, a gentleman named Sandy Collera, I think. And he actually used... Um, the experience making that to go on to make a feature film. Uh, and, and I think his thing at the time was being able to make a professional looking movie for a very small amount of money. Uh, and when uh, this documentary came out just last year, I was like, ah, oh, that sounds interesting. I think that would be fun, but it's not. It is so everyone in it. You just <laughs> want to punch him. <laughs> you, you, just, you don't want to, I mean, you want to hit him with a pillow, a big yes. feathery pillow that you know what saying that i apologize sarah i didn't want to i don't want to diminish how painful it could be actually to hit by he a did not allow feather pillows in the league because you could pack them down so much that they actually were a little devastating and yeah a couple of the girls oh were goodness. allergic too so yeah it was many fibers only <laughs> what's the most serious injury you ever got oh um I got off really easily in terms of injuries. Um, we had mm -hmm. someone lose a tooth when we were in New York. Um, we had someone completely dislocate her shoulder. Yeah, I think those Dear were the God. major ones in the Pillow Fight League. Uh, when I was competing in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I broke my toe on a guy while I was warming up for a tournament. So I think that's oh my, my first combat oh my injury ever. <laughs> what? Well, okay, now with your training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu... What's the uh, most painful injury you ever uh, gave to an opponent? Um, that wouldn't have been in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I went through a phase where I was known as Sarah Nosebleed Kerchak in my Muay Thai classes because mm. I would fight without contacts or glasses in and I lost a bit of depth perception. And when we were supposed to be lightly sparring, I was hitting people in the nose because they were closer than I thought they were. 
So you I broke a lot of bleed. bones. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, did you recently run half a marathon? Half marathon. Half marathon. I'm I, sorry. I, I certainly don't mean to diminish that. I think that's an incredible accomplishment. Tell um, me about that. Well, my mother and I have this annual thing now. We've done it for the past four years where we go to Las Vegas and do the rock and roll half marathon there or they shut down the entire Las Vegas strip. It's one of two times a year they do it. And they let these assholes run on it for 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles if you're serious about your running, which I'm not. Oh, it oh, could be, you know, um, my mother has actually done, like, my mother is a runner. That's her thing. That's how she lost about 100 pounds when she was over 40 and has kept it off for all these years. Um, so she's done four full marathons, which is why that's, like, the serious standard. I will never be her or, like, a real runner. Um, and she's lost count of the number of half marathons she's done, which I think is one of the most dickish things a runner can say. Like, oh, yeah, run 13.1 oh miles so many times, I can't even remember. Whatever, it's no big deal. Um, yeah, I've only done like six half marathons and that's enough for me because that means that's the amount you can run and like have a life. Marathoners can't have mm. a life or if you don't put in the training, you'll just die while you're running out there. So either you have to be boring or you'd be dead. <laughs> Some controversial <laughs> thoughts on the lives of marathoners from Sarah Kerchak here on this episode. Uh, Sarah, I feel like the kind of people who would listen to an Eric Roberts podcast probably think that even six half marathons are is just about the most amazing accomplishment that someone could uh, Well, you know, in all fairness, I fucked around for a lot of that time. It's not like I was out there running seriously. Uh-huh. Uh, Stopped and played the slots for a while, well, and then considered that. On. But I did actually stop and watch a Kiss tribute band in full makeup play for a while. Um, for like the past three years, I did that. The first year I was playing, there was a Cars tribute band playing directly under the Vegas sign as we ran oh. past it, and that was like incredible to me. I just wanted to stop and listen to this Cars tribute band. Um, unfortunately, they had. Oh, and then the second year, they were on the full marathon course. So as we were pulling away from the full, I could hear them, and I was just this one idiot in the crowd going, "No, I want the Cars tribute band." Um, and then I had to run away from them as they were playing stereo. It was really, really sad. Now, some listeners would be mad at me if I didn't ask if the Kiss tribute band that you saw were they the mini Kiss all little people? Why well, no, they weren't. Band. I, I figured you would have mentioned yeah. that if they were, but, but, but I had to ask, were they a very good Kiss tribute band? Now I yes. have to say to you, Sarah, I, d- I despise Kiss. <laughs> I am, you know, I'm pretty close to indifferent about Kiss these days. I tried to like them for a long time in my youth, but yeah, it, they're not my number one choice for that kind of rock. That kind of rock. Who would be your um, number one Like choice? in terms of rock and roll in general, or we're talking very much like glam rock. Now you write I, about a music, little bit Sarah. still. I did for like fifteen years. Fifteen yeah. years. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's a lot. So let's. Well, I mean, I'm not going to try to ask you who your favorite rock and roll performer is, but yes. uh, Sarah, who is your favorite rock? Rob and roll Halford, performer? the metal dog. Oh, He's also my favorite interview okay. of all time. He's an incredibly lovely man. Just wonderful to talk to. Will answer pretty much anything. He's funny. He's charming. And he's absolutely amazing. <laughs> what makes a good interview subject, I think Sarah? Mostly it's someone who's game and thoughtful 
and generally someone who's been doing it long enough that sort of knows what a ridiculous setup an interview is and can run with it because it's a terrible social construct. I have, I have, you're, you're absolutely right. I have a fascination with quality interviewers. It's something that I think people who've been listening to this podcast for a little while probably already know because I've had basically all of my favorite interviewers mm -hmm. on this show already. People, people who really get kind of people who can move past the construct and create some sort of emotional bond to the point where it it it's almost yes. seems playful when and and that's something that's difficult to come across in print mm -hmm. in particular. But uh, but uh, that sort of connection must be so difficult when you're walking into a room and you have first it's a person that anyone would probably be yes. intimidated by, uh, and second it's someone who's been interviewed. A million mm -hmm. times before. So you basically have this insurmountable obstacle already in front of you. But it sounds like you managed to uh, to vault over it when talking to I do. Office. And I, um, I actually give myself very little credit for that. I just think Mr. Halford, um, I won't call him Rob, um, he's been <laughs> doing it for so long that he... And, you know, part of it is that he now only gets to talk to people who really want to talk to him. He's just sort of in that point in his career where everyone who still wants the interview is probably a huge Judas Priest fan. So he's talking to, like, people who are long-term invested in his career who are genuinely interested in talking to him. And then he is genu genuinely interested in talking to us or can fake it really well and either works out pretty well on my end. Sarah, who's the worst person you've Dead ever Mouse? interviewed? Oh, really? Why is um, that? He's just was not present in the interview, was cranky. Um, in all fairness, it wasn't my best interview either. It was very last minute, and I was trying to juggle what my editor wanted versus what I'd come up with myself. But it was just this mm -hmm. lack of connection. He would just get up mid-sentence and go get a macaron to eat off the table and was texting people. <laughs> and yeah, it was not an entirely pleasant experience. Although I will say I got like four stories out of that interview. So maybe it wasn't necessarily the worst ever. But Dead Mouse yeah. is an asshole, right? Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen that before. Mm -hmm. I've actually heard that before. It's a shame. It's a shame when talented people are assholes. It's a lot more understandable when people who are just awful and don't have any talent yes. are assholes. Not that I'm the world's biggest Dead Mouse fan, but certainly he's a person that you would hope, you know, when you're, you go into that interview with the hope that you're going to come out of it with more than just a few amusing Yeah, you stories. know what? Especially someone who worked as long as he did before he really, truly broke. You'd right. think maybe there'd be some humbleness broken into him at some point. But no, Joel's just going to be Joel. That's a person you'll just call by their first name. <laughs> Sarah, I'm starting to worry. Now that you've listened to a few episodes of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, you know that I've promised the listeners that Eric Roberts is going to be appearing on the next uh, season of Game of Thrones. Well, it's getting a little late in the year. <laughs> and I figured that if he was going to be on the show, that they probably would have announced it by now. But I'm going to hold out hope. I'm not going to give up. My Well, I'm going to call this a petition right now. So what I'm saying is if you're listening to this right now, email whoever the fuck it is that does Game of Thrones. Not that <laughs> dude who writes it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a fan. But the people, I don't know, HBO, something like that, just send a free form. Just send out to anyone. doesn't even have to be you connected to the show. Just send out some emails. on this matter. Randomly uh -huh. throw it into Spread the it around. Yeah, yeah. Now, don't create like one of those petitions because everyone knows don't, don't, those don't work. But just send... 
random emails to people you know. If, you're, if your aunt has maybe a mailing list that she sends out to, try to get on that. Just make sure that the word gets out there because I feel like the groundswell, especially this time of the year when there's so much goodwill, we could really make something happen for 2016. And I'd like to take at least this some This sounds like the that. worst iteration of the secret ever, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm going to use Grant Morrison's magic. And so what I'll do is I'm going to write down Eric Roberts in Game of Thrones on a piece of paper. Then I'm going to remove all the vowels and all the doubled letters. And then I'm going to turn those letters into a sigil. And I'm going to keep them on my person until I create the magic to allow Eric Roberts to be. You're in incredibly of invested in this, given that you don't actually like the show. Wouldn't it actually be more interesting for you, as it is for me, as someone who is not really into it either, if he was just mm -hmm. tagged in that original tweet because Max von Sydow just thinks he's super cool and wanted him to know that? Well, yes, of course you're correct. But I have to be thinking about Eric <laughs> Roberts' career. I have to look. I. Part of doing this podcast is a belief deep within my core that within the time I start the first episode of this podcast and when I complete the very last one after we complete every bit of media that contains Eric Roberts, as is our blood oath mm -hmm. that Todd and I have done, um, that Eric Roberts will, will actually have a resurgence and that he will be recognized as one of the finest actors that are out there and given some sort of John Travolta-esque um, well, maybe not like John Travolta, but, you know, a Tarantino-esque rebirth on the cinema screens. And I think that the potential for that happening still exists, but you need to take steps upward. And a good step would be to appear on the very popular, though going downhill, television show, Game of Thrones. I'm only saying that because of what I've read. Obviously, I don't watch uh, Sometimes I try to watch the Diana Riggs scenes because I'm still incredibly in love with her. But it's just not for me. Mm. I have a very, very low dragon tolerance in general. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of pushes my anti-dragon buttons. Okay, let's explore that a little bit. Now, you don't care like for dragons. dragons. Um, but just in general, I'm not super mm -hmm. invested in things that involve dragons. Now tell me, why was there a, a piece of popular culture in general where you felt, all right, that's enough. That's enough dragons well, for me. No, there, there was a defining moment when I realized I wasn't invested in dragons. And that was when I was buying the season three DVD box set for my husband. And the poor young teenager at HMV was trying to talk me up about this show I was purchasing. He's like, hey, Game of Thrones. And I said, yeah, it's not for me. Wow, why don't you like it? And the first thing that came out of my, you know, autistic, not really good at improvising rational answers mouth was, I don't know, I just have a low tolerance for dragons. And then he just sort of changed the subject. But it was in that moment that I realized that's probably one of the truer things I've ever said about pop culture <laughs> is that I do really have a low dragon tolerance. And once they show up, I'm like, yeah, I can't do this anymore, guys. You've stretched my belief in a way that I'm just not willing to commit to. You know dinosaurs existed, right? They were walking the earth. They're basically like dragons that don't breathe fire or fly. They were big yeah, old well, lizards. If this person shows up and starts breathing fire and flying in the movie, I'm not going to be super invested in that either. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. That poor kid from HM at HMV, he went home and he was like, he was crying and thinking, she doesn't like the dragons, why? And I can't help but feel 
sympathy for that young man who just wanted to share his love of well, dragons with you. Well, you know what? You. There are other dragon lovers he can turn to. I think it's a good there are, in life. There are a lot. Literally dragons. and figuratively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there so are people who really so like sad dragons. For me, I have, I'm the one who's I, actually alone in this. Well, you're not alone. I don't. Oh, okay. I don't really care about dragons. That's why I don't want. I don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think dragons are kind of stupid now that I think about it. Big lizards, ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, finally on this week's Roberts report, recently added to the Eric Roberts ever expanding IMDb page is 2016's <clears throat> Prayer Never Fails, featuring get this Corbin Burnson. Kathy Lee Crosby, Lorenzo Lamas, and Eric Roberts as a character named Judge Bolden. The plot involves a when a high school basketball coach is fired for praying with one of his players, he follows God's calling and hires an agnostic gambling lawyer to file a lawsuit from director Wes Miller. What do you think, Sarah? Prayer, Prayer never, fails. never fails. I feel like that's a bit of a spoiler given the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to bet this agnostic gambling lawyer finds Jesus before the end? Seems a bit hackneyed. I don't think that would necessarily happen in this <laughs> movie called Prayer Never Fails with Lorenzo Lamas in I'm it. I'm sure it is going to be a true testament to the human spirit. Um, yeah, I'm super curious about this one in a perverse way. Now, Sarah, you may have heard a couple of episodes ago we mentioned that uh, Eric Roberts will be appearing in a, another faith-based movie in 2016, which involved a surprisingly <laughs> similar plot, but but in that case involving mixed martial arts Well, um, coming from the very periphery of that world, I can tell you uh, Jesus is really, really big in martial arts. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, when I used to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, my last sensei was really big on being 100% Jesus, and there was like Jesus stuff all over the dojo, and they had Bible meetings on Tuesday nights, so um, this is probably going to be a really realistic look at martial arts, all things considered. Like Kathy Lee needed Regis. That's the way they meet <laughs> Jesus when, when they are Brazilian martial arts practitioners. That movie features Lee Majors and Fred Williamson and Eric Roberts in it. So, of course, we'll be covering that on the show at some point. Who knows if it's going to be realistic or not? I guess we'll find out. I guess the person who made yeah. it would know. But, but I think the level we'll of see. Jesus will Maybe. be realistic. Let's say that. Right. Someone needs a big cross tattooed on their Yeah, back, back right? arm. I've seen it all. She's seen it all. That's it, folks. That's the end of this week's Roberts Report. But it isn't the end of this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. No, we are just getting started. This is our holiday special, which uh, makes it kind of amusing that we were just being so flippant when it came to people's <laughs> belief in God. But besides that, we have two amazing Eric Roberts-related holiday feature films to discuss today. Sarah was really excited about both of these. First, we're going to talk about 2012's Christmas in Compton. Mm -hmm. And we're going to follow that with the all-time holiday classic All-American Christmas Carol from 2013. Yes, two amazing Eric Roberts featuring (laughs) (laughs) Christmas movies. Because, of course, this is our Christmas special, so we had to have Christmas movies. And there were more than these to choose from, but these are the ones that we went with. We're going to take our first break. And when we return, we're going to talk all about the wonders of Christmas in Compton. Join us after this. (laughs) 
was the night before Christmas, and all through the hood, not a hater was stirring, because it was all good. Santa? No, wake your behind up. That tidy whitey Santa suit is killing me. Well, you better hope you look this good when you're my age. All right, now it's eight days till Christmas. Now things are gonna get real intense. People gonna start begging for free trees. I mean, this is Compton. Even the mayor got a sad story. Christmas in Compton. Relax, everybody. That was just a car. Isn't about black or white. Can you tell me the quickest way out of Compton? Uh, basketball, football. <laughs> It's about green. You must be Tommy Maxell. That's right. And if I don't get my money by Christmas Eve, this property is mine. From Bright Idea Entertainment and Barnholtz Entertainment. 2012's Christmas in Compton, directed by David Rayner, uh, featuring Keith, uh, Keith David in a very interesting role in the lead. Uh, and uh, it's, I have to say, uh, I had certain expectations about this movie going into it that um, I don't know if the film exceeded them or if it sidestepped them entirely. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on the plot. It does involve uh, Big Earl, played by Keith David, uh, who is the owner of a Christmas tree lot in Compton. And the movie kind of uh, surrounds his relationship with his son um, uh, and his son, who is a music producer, his son's relationship with a uh, bigger fancy music studio owner uh, or something along those lines, played by Eric Roberts, of course. Uh, and uh, there are lots of ridiculous characters around the periphery, way too many, in fact, and certainly if I was going to mention them here. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, unfortunate conflict. They almost lose the lot, but then everything comes together in a very heartwarming Christmas-related finale. Uh, this is a film that is uh, designed to appeal to... Um, well, I think we can be honest, a black audience. And, of course, it should come as no surprise that Eric Roberts plays a slimy piece of human garbage who gets his eventual comeuppance. Sarah? Yes? It was not your fault that you had to watch Christmas in Compton. In fact, uh, on this episode, I actually assigned both of these films to us. And, in fact, if I guess if you were going to pick an Eric Roberts project to watch for this show, it probably wouldn't have been Christmas in Compton. So, with that said... What did you think of Christmas in Compton? Well, I think if you'll recall during the selection process, I was on board because I have an irrational love for Fifi Dobson. Fifi appears, Dobson. Yes, who appears as a member of Sugar Stuff in the movie. <laughs> Sugar Stuff is uh, the group that uh, Big Earl's son uh, manages and that Eric Roberts wants to basically buy off of him or really steal from him because he thinks that they're going to be big. But who is Fifi Dobson? Well, Fifi Dobson, um, I believe when she first debuted in Canadian music in the early zeros, was marketed as the Black Avril Lavigne, which mm -hmm. is really unfortunate for her because I've always thought Fifi was a better Avril Lavigne, which still sounds like incredibly faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> she was sort of like a, a pop punk young teenage girl from Scarborough who rode that wave of like Avril Lavigne, Sky Sweetnam, and the rest of them. But I, I always kind of thought that she was better than that wave suggested and a lot better than the albums they actually released by her. Um, and every time I see her in something, I feel like she's giving it her all and I just want to support her. And even here as a member of Sugar Stuff, the like half trifling act who, you know, are really just looking after their own interests, but sort of made to look like villains because they're not <laughs> helping out the main character here. Um, 
I thought she did a fine job with what she was given, and that actually carried my uh, faith in the movie for a while, perhaps longer than it should have. Uh, yeah, so there is a little bright spot of CanCon in the movie, but let's let's remove Fifi Dobson from the equation. Yes. For, which would be very easy to do because she doesn't have a particularly large part in the movie. Yeah, I think I've made it sound a lot bigger than it actually is right now. I had to look back. I was like, which one was she again? <laughs> <laughs> well, she looks a little different too. Uh, so what about the movie as a whole? Did, did it work for you? Now, it is a comedy. It's a very broad comedy uh, yeah. with some uh, what I can only describe as racially insensitive moments. Yeah, it's like um they they just leapt off that avenue cue. Everyone's a little bit racist and decided just to go with that without examining what else was actually being said in that song and exploring how even though we're all racist, we should maybe not just accept that and throw out weird Korean stereotypes in the middle of your Christmas Incompetent film. Um, Let's elaborate on that just a little bit because I, I yeah. don't want anyone listening to think that when I say that it's a little racially insensitive that I give a shit that Eric Roberts looks like an asshole in it. I'm not talking about that. There's no, a... Eric Roberts does a great job of being the evil whitey here and yeah. that's absolutely fine. But we're talking about Steve Ho, the Korean whom no one can identify as Korean who works at the uh, tree lot who is just randomly the butt of jokes for no reason whatsoever, and then occasionally throws out some... Well, this is the other racially strange thing I found, that he's throwing out the defense of the black people, who are then shooting it down like, oh, no, that's not true, Steve Hope. Um, yeah, this is a movie that's supposed to be like conscious filmmaking about giving back to the community and building up community spirit, and it seemed to have a lot of loathing for all of its characters. It, and, and Sarah isn't just saying that. The film ends with text on the screen talking about how it's part of a conscientious movement of filmmaking, that there was a real attempt to put a positive message in here. But you're right, it just kind of... Aside from a, a few specific characters, it just revels in the stereotypes. There's even a part, and like Keith David, who's amazing. I mean, he is <laughs> the heart and soul of this movie, and he saves so many of the scenes just by that voice, for one thing, but just being himself. But there's, yeah. there's this part where he's like teaching a group of children. I don't know why they let the guy who owns the fucking Christmas tree lot have all their kids around so he can teach them. But he's talking about why Asians do so well in school. And he, yeah. he's, I hate to even say this, but he says, no study, no chop suey. I mean, just the worst thing you yeah. could have said. Um, and I mean, it, it's that, I guess, like you said, it, it's a case where they feel like they're going so far with the stereotypes for all of the characters that they felt that they could go to that area as well. But I have to say, it was really difficult to watch um, because of just how unpleasantly broad it was. Yeah, this was um, just a convoluted plot. Oh, yes. Random stereotypes just thrown in for no other reason than, hey, racial humor is funny. And I don't know, maybe they're trying to be like down with the kids and give it some like <laughs> unacceptable humor to try to blend in with the consciousness raising that was ostensibly happening throughout this story. But it just didn't work. I think maybe in the core of it, if they just thrown Big Earl and Tommy Maxwell, which is Eric Roberts' character, at each other and just let them chew a bunch of scenery and feud for maybe 80 minutes, we might have actually had a movie here. The rest was unnecessary. Now, I'm going to turn things around on you a little bit, Sarah. Yes. Because the fact is, despite my criticisms 
of Christmas in Compton. I have to say, the final 20 minutes, they worked on me. Really? Yeah. No, I felt... I think it was because of the the kind of mini story between um, between Keith David and Omar Gooding, who plays his son in the movie. Um, and even though their relationship is like the, the conflict that they're having is ridiculous. Like when they reveal that Omar Gooding's character has has been working with this female pop group for years, and he expects a three hundred thousand dollar check. I'm like, what is like, what is this movie supposed to be? <laughs> But there's something about Omar Gooding's performance, and I have to say, he's really good here. He really is. Uh, he, yeah, I would agree yeah, with that. And, and he's, like, giving it his all. But something about that relationship, and because that was the core of things at the very end of the movie, there was enough of it where I actually, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't about to start uh, bawling <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. Not that I couldn't, but certainly I didn't at this movie. But I, I did feel that there was enough of a sincere attempt at heart felt content at the end that it actually did work on me in a way that like a Christmas special might work on me. And that is despite the fact that I found a lot of what came before it really difficult to watch and sometimes intolerable. So it's a, it's interesting. I think maybe I was just getting caught up in the Christmas spirit, but it sounds to me, Sarah, like you didn't enjoy this experience at all. The big heartwarming moment at the end hinges on Big Earl having no faith in his son. That's true. It does seem like it, it, there's a weird <laughs> aspect of the plot where it's hard to tell if he's pretending to have no faith in his son so he can switch it around at the end and show that he actually did have faith in him the whole time or if he really didn't have faith in him and then suddenly like his mind just clicked and it's like, now I'm going to have a little bit of faith. But it, it's, I, I think I at least took it, I interpreted it at the time because this plot is ludicrous. I mean, it is fucking crazy what happens um i love it's incredibly undisciplined storytelling going on there i like how like the big conflict at the end is oh my god he lost the christmas tree lot this is going to destroy his father his father ends up in jail because he tries to sell christmas trees out of his front yard and then that conflict is resolved because he just says i can just open up a lot down the street yeah that's part of the happy ending is there's going to be two Christmas tree lots on this street in Compton. <laughs> also, that's a meaningful business decision. Uh, one of our heroes, one of our main heroic characters, like, let's get it. Let's be completely honest. Eric Roberts is he plays a complete asshole in this movie, and that's what he's supposed to be. So his response when he finds out um, uh, Omar Gooding's character, when he finds out he's not getting the check that he deserves, is to pretend to be an exterminator. And to use poisonous gas to knock out Eric Roberts and his wife so he can steal the ring off of his wife's finger and then sell it at a pawn shop so he can then get money. Yes. And then when the sale of the diamond goes tits up, we're supposed to be like sympathetic toward him. When in reality, it's not only has he like made a morally bad decision, he's made like business wise an incredibly bad decision. Yes. It, 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 in fact, his. I mean, I think he is supposed to have uh, gained some sort of realization in the final 15, 20 minutes that, yes, he's made nothing but bad decisions. But you're also completely right that with the girl group, uh, they are made to look somewhat selfish because they want to sign with a major label and he is willing to to give them nothing and is acting like a criminal. (laughs) Like a criminal in the kind of way where you could go to jail for like 30 or 40 years. Uh, Yeah. And... um, 
and, and really providing nothing for them except what must be expensive limo rides that are completely unnecessary. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, he's sort of wanting and dining them in the midst of all of this. <laughs> he works, he works at a, at a Christmas tree lot. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, but... Yeah, while he's asking them to, like, hang on and wait and take his, you know, money that's going to show up out of nowhere that he keeps promising them as they come along, he's also asking them to sing for free at the lot. Yeah. So he's free labor out of them as he's trying to exploit them further and then they're the bad ones for thinking maybe they want to get paid for their livelihood and there's a part where he's basically speechifying at them to say you know i you know i'm i'm a i'm doing this by myself i'm uh i'm being very honest with you i'm being very forthright about my situation and he's like and I, you know I, i'm doing this for you and one of them say no you're doing this for yourself because he wants the money that's going to come with it which of course is going to end up being more money than they get so, yeah. so it's it really is incredibly selfish like everything that he's doing and they just kind of blow past that in the plot like it's not that yeah, important but like basically his big goal in life to make it big is to be like a slightly less evil version of eric roberts character yes exactly that is what he aspires to be at some point in the future yes. <laughs> uh, so christmas in compton is a bit of a complex movie i think we can uh, both agree yes. on that uh even though we've had mixed responses to it what did you think of the music in the movie um, I, I thought it was effective for what it was. It's, they needed, like, generic girl group pop for sugar stuff, and that was exactly what they gave us. Um, I'm not sure anyone would start a bidding war over it, whether it involved Christmas tree lots or not. But... Uh, Suge Knight gave him a call, so obviously it worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sarah, do you uh, like Christmas movies in general? Um, Not really. I basically think the whole idea of Christmas movies are Christmas special peak with the claymation christmas mm -hmm. um special sure will Vinton. yeah and so after that i just sort of drifted away from the idea what is it about christmas movies that you just despise so much i don't say i despise mm -hmm. them i'm feeling pretty much indifferent to them um i think they tend to like the next film to foreshadow maybe just dip into that dickens thing a bit too often nice. and so there's that really tired trope um i'm also not the biggest fan of happy endings <laughs> and the only like super sad christmas thing we have is that awful red shoes movie oh, so my. yeah there's not a lot about the season that really speaks to me as a film watcher they do tend to be rather cloying and sappy and predictable and bad and yes. sometimes they feature eric roberts uh, yeah. but oftentimes they don't so i can't imagine why i would spend a lot of my time watching christmas themed movies yeah although i do love rare exports i'll say that that's probably my number one christmas movie it's the exception that proves the rule yes the rule being <laughs> that all christmas movies are unwatchable dreck Yes. Mm -hmm. I think we're agreed on this one, Sarah. Thank you for giving your opinion on Christmas as a holiday and uh, yeah. the type of entertainment, the type of awful entertainment that we're subjected to in this wonderful season. Now, of course, yeah. the other exception to prove the rule is the Eric Roberts is the fucking man holiday special that you're listening to right now. That's right. Well, not you. You're participating in it. Well, I'm also listening to it, hmm. technically. Well, you're so. listening to me, but that's only really half of the whole thing. I'm listening to myself as well. That, that happens as words come out of my mouth. Yeah, I guess that's true. It must be hard to, like, really pay close attention to what's coming out of your own mouth. Yeah, well, this is how you end up saying things like, I have a low tolerance for dragons in public. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're, 
we're all never going to forget that now. Now, I should mention to you, Sarah, that if you said something on the podcast that you felt afterwards, you were like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. You could, of course, ask me to take it out because I'm going to be editing the podcast anyway. And please feel free to all do right. that. Now, with that said, something as innocuous as I hate dragons, that might still end up in the episode. Okay, are you a little concerned about how hard we ragged on Jesus before we jumped into Christmas in Compton? Oh, no. I am not at all. <laughs> no, no. No, that is purely for your benefit. I won't cut anything I say out because everything I say is solid gold. Uh, that, is not, that is neither the first nor last time that we are going to rag on Jesus on this show. <laughs> Which, it's not that kind of show. But it's some... You know what? Jesus can take it. He's been through worse, let's face it. Especially this time of the year. Uh, actually, that's completely oh, wrong. That is entirely year. wrong. Unless you consider being born. <laughs> it's been hard for some of us. I hear none of us asked for it. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of us uh, asked the very opposite of that. Let's re- yes. let's remember that on this holiest <laughs> of seasons. Christmas in Compton from 2012. Uh, I think a bit of a mixed reaction from the both of us. But this, of course, does lead to the most important question that we always ask on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Does this uh, movie confirm or refute the idea that eric roberts is the fucking man let's start with you sarah (laughs) i would say it confirms it but i would give like secondary the fucking man status to keith david here he look keith david is almost overwhelmingly the fucking man which leads me into a funny story (laughs) (laughs) um my wife was recently watching the documentary series the war the, the ken burns documentary uh, about World War II, and it's um, it's terrific. You can certainly, if you have Netflix, it's on there. It's very mm-hmm. long, very detailed, and it's uh, sometimes it's very harrowing, but it's it's incredibly well done. Keith David is the main narrator for that entire series. Uh huh. So, <laughs> my wife came to me after watching uh, two or three episodes of the series, and she's like, "What is Ken Burns like?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> she says, "Well, he's got that strong voice." <laughs> And I had to explain to her that Keith David and Ken Burns were two different people. And then, of course, the coup de grace was when I showed her a picture of Ken Burns. (laughs) Little wispy white Ken Burns next to Keith David. Uh, Yes, it was. uh, God bless my wife. But But like yourself, I'm going to say I'm going to do a double fucking man on this one. All right. Yeah, I'm going to say that both Eric Roberts and Keith David... Uh, Keith David, he's he's such a strong presence that he blasts through some of the racist stuff coming out of his mouth, some of the yeah. awful stereotypes, and still manages any. And to me, and I even said so, you know, it, he even managed to to blast a hole right through my heart. Yeah, it made me feel something, and that is a rarity here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's the power of Keith David. You know, when you said that he was narrating a documentary series, I was really hoping you were going to say City Confidential, because <laughs> I think that's my favorite Keith David part, is as the narrator on the blissfully like pulpy and terrible A&E series, City Confidential. Keith David has done a lot of narration, <laughs> but uh, but it's great. He has a great voice. He's a great human being. I mean, I can't. I can only go by his movie roles and his Twitter personality, but he seems like a pretty cool dude. Uh, he does. Yeah. Ju- just like Eric Roberts seems like a pretty cool dude. Uh, and that's why they have to be the fucking man in tandem on this one. This is Eric Roberts and Keith David are the fucking men podcast. Yes. Because this is our holiday special. We can change things around. We can do whatever we want. 
It's a Christmas miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. And after this break, we'll be returning with another Christmas miracle. All-American Christmas Carol. Now, I have to say I'm extremely curious about Sarah's response to this film. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll find out all about that right after this. social services. You gotta talk to her and make her think you're a fit mother. <gasps> Cindy Wegman is a hit and run. You hit it? <laughs> Just look at her. Three kids, three different daddies. Barely a penny to her name. This Christmas is gonna suck. She's never gonna make something of herself. Is it Christmas yet? Yeah, school. It's Christmas. Your kids don't even expect Christmas presents this year from you? As Sarah suggested before the break, a lot of Christmas movies tend to take the framework of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol and then put it into some other context. There's, of course, a lot of Christmas specials that uh, that follow that same sort of uh, pattern. Uh, And one other product that has that pattern is All-American Christmas Carol from 2013, directed by Ron Carlson and featuring an all-star cast, including Sherry Appleby from uh, Orange is the New Black, Beverly D'Angelo, of course, uh, Eric Roberts, and oh, really a cast of thousands. And uh, and Meatloaf. Meatloaf is in this movie as well for some reason. (laughs) I'm sure he's still wondering why, too. I'm sure. Well... (laughs) Maybe he's not. Maybe not at this point. Uh, Very quick plot synopsis. A white trash mom is visited by three ghosts intent on showing her a path to a brighter future. All-American Christmas Carol. uh, I believe it's actually available to view on Hulu at the moment for those who are very curious about it. And if you are curious about it, we'll just wait 10 minutes and see if you're still curious (laughs) about it. (laughs) Let's start with you, Sarah. What did you think of 2013's All-American Christmas Carol? Well, um, uh-huh. there there was a lot more going on in that plot that, than was necessary. Mm. I mean, Dickens broke down the whole Christmas Carol thing pretty well. You know, three ghosts came to visit. They each taught a lesson as we progressed through Scrooge's late night awakening. Um, that doesn't really happen here. We have Taryn Manning as Cindy, who is just sort of, I mean, as comically bad as she is, is this evil trailer trash mother succubus type person who destroys all of the men in her life. Uh, The men had choices at almost every single step that they just never made and blamed everything on her. But anyway, um, after she sees one of her kids in a school play of A Christmas Carol, because, you know, we wouldn't have figured that out otherwise... 
Um, she's visited by some trashy ghosts who eventually, I guess, teach her she's kind of worth nothing and has to try harder or let the people in her life free from her to move on, which is a really, really heartwarming Christmas story. It's basically telling this poor woman she ain't shit and then suck it up or move on. God didn't make no trash. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I actually, in the intro, I actually screwed up. Of course, it, it stars Taryn Manning from Orange is the New Black. Not that, yes, because no. Sherry Appleby was from Roswell, from where Roswell. she never once pronounced the letter G properly. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about Roswell. Now, um, let, let's actually start with Taryn Manning's performance. She is front and center in this movie. She has uh, quite a strong personality a very specific kind of personality again i'm only really familiar with her from this and orange is the new black where she plays a uh, a quite different character there but what did you think of what she was trying to do here she of course is playing a very stereotypical white trash role where very unrepentant for most of the movie in, in fact uh extremely unrepentant until very late into the movie as i, I guess a scrooge character would be that's true. Um, you know what? I actually thought it was basically what she does as Pensatucky on Orange is the New Black without any of the, you know, backstory or menace <laughs> or personality or anything. It was just like, let's take the stereotype of a trailer trash person and just put them into a movie and assume she's horrible. And bless her heart, I think she does the absolute best she can with that character, given what's going on in this awful, also convoluted story. Now, you just described the story as awful. Yes. Now, did you think <laughs> there was anything about this movie that wasn't awful? Um, hmm... The fact that it, it that took a hmm and a little bit of thought <laughs> certainly gives us an overview on your feelings of the movie as a whole. It's an extremely difficult movie to watch because it it's alternately boring and, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff happening, but it still manages to be pretty boring. Uh, yeah, there's, there's like not a second where that goes by without some sort of plot development, and yet it's very, very hard to get invested in this absolutely charmless portrayal of i don't know low-class white life it almost seems like it's been retrofitted into the christmas carol mold because like for a good portion of the first 20 minutes it doesn't feel like it's in any way a tribute to that story and in fact even when the ghosts start showing up it doesn't feel like they don't carry any impact because there's been no setup for it really uh, and maybe, and that's, you know, I went into this obviously knowing the title, obviously knowing what it was trying to do, but maybe it's just that because she's so far from the archetype of Scrooge and the situation is so different than what you'd normally expect, that that her being shown her past, and especially because she is so unrepentant even within it, yeah. it holds no weight. So her sudden realization near the end that, and uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> That because her son decided to work at the dollar store. Yes. <laughs> but also the realization that uh, her selfishness is eventually going to lead to her uh, son and her nephew uh, being involved in crime and there being a death. That, um, that that would make her switch around. But it really seems like they had to take her to the very precipice before... It, she made any change at all in her life. I mean, the, the idea of Scrooge is that even though he seems 
unrepentant when he's being shown his past and mm-hmm. his present and his future that there are increments of change within him in her, with her the change just happens right at the end and then it's all different yeah um i have no clue what she was supposed to learn from the ghost of christmas past <laughs> and ghost of christmas present and in fact she thinks she's at the same party when they take her to it so that that's i mean i'm sure that's supposed to be a lesson in how she hasn't changed and should maybe learn from it but it really is just as indiscernible to audiences that she's being shown different parts of her life. I love that they have this character who is her love interest, her kind of main love. She has two love interests that are kind of at the core of it. One of them is a professional wrestler uh, who is kind of her fling that she uh, has the hots for, let's say. And then she has a more stable manager at a dollar store who she is really just using uh, and doesn't have any legitimate feelings for. But one of the things they do is um, he eventually proposes to her. And then they have their Christmas day where she takes him outside and basically explains to him that, you know, he is going to go off to college. He's going to find someone who's really special, someone who really does belong with him. And he accepts that with no trouble at all. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, oh, hey, I'm better than you. That's cool. <laughs> I'm just going to take all this money you owe me and various presents that probably aren't worth as much as we're supposed to believe they are and move on with my life. She, and then he's a gold record. cuts off his rat tail to prove <laughs> to him that he's better than the trailer part. Now, this film also features a small part, as we mentioned, by Meatloaf. Mm-hmm. Now, Sarah, what do you think of Meatloaf? Um, You know what? That- mildly positive about meatloaf um i felt bad for him when i was watching this film uh i really did wonder as he was like throwing a turkey out of a trailer if as he was doing it he was thinking like damn it i was in fight club i like i released bad out of hell like what is happening (laughs) to me in this moment um yeah that, that was a really sad moment for me i was semi-obsessed fairly recently with yes. with pictures of uh meatloaf campaigning with mitt romney a few years ago yeah and uh the pictures of them like him performing all sweaty next to mitt romney with his like plastered on grin and how <laughs> ridiculous that image was and like there were, for some reason well not for some reason of course it was a presidential campaign so there were pictures from a thousand different angles and yes. meatloaf looked worse and worse in every single <laughs> one of them and i just couldn't stop look i was just like i gotta look at every single image and video of this happening that would uh, make such an amazing flip book yeah it really would and in fact there were enough photos that it would probably seem like he was moving in some sort of animated fashion mm-hmm. uh, but like yourself i have some affinity for meatloaf i i saw the movie roadie from 1980 which stars meatloaf mm-hmm. very good natured in that i uh, i had i listened to bad out of hell uh, and bad out of hell too quite a bit as a mm-hmm. in my youth uh, in this movie he has nothing to do and no reason to be in it at all. No, except to like just be, hey, there's Meatloaf. There's Meatloaf. Uh, and in fact, unless you were familiar with Meatloaf, you might even miss the fact that it's Meatloaf. Yeah, that's true. It, it's an incredibly small, half-disguised part that I believe is supposed to teach us a lesson about her past that I, was just completely lost on me. Um, but yeah, that was um, was definitely a low moment in a low film. A low Film. Now it is a comedy. It is supposed ostensibly. to. It is ostensibly a comedy. I can't say that I laughed at all in it, except now that I say that I yes. did laugh once, and I'll tell you when it was. 
All right. It was when Eric Roberts showed up in the movie. Yes. <laughs> and now Eric Roberts' character plays one of the ghosts in the film, but he's also the ghost of a rock star. Like in the in the universe of the movie, a famous rock star that has died uh, and that uh, the lead character is a huge fan of. That's the gold record that we referred to earlier that she has. She has some of his hair. Now, speaking of hair. Yes. We talk a lot about Eric Roberts' hair on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Mm-hmm. And we we get a little disconcerted when we see him do something to that hair. Yes. Now, in this movie, he has, what's the best way to describe it? I, I can't really compare it to, like, it doesn't look like he's trying to imitate any particular rock and roll artist with that hair. Yeah, I believe that this was an original vision they had going here, and I suppose there was nothing left in the budget for an actual quality wig. It is the craziest fucking wig. Like, it is like, it's, it's like, it. Boy, it's really hard to explain. It's kind of like Gene Simmons in the 70s hair in that it kind of is triangular a little bit and it's yeah. curly and puffy all over. But And it looks so dry. Yeah, and it I mean there's no way that anyone would think that that was a real person's hair. It's obviously yeah. just s- sitting <laughs> balancing on Eric Roberts' head. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric Roberts like he has such a laid back manner, especially in in the last like 5-10 years in his mm-hmm. roles, you know, his his voice carries a kind of a laid back almost a Jeff Bridges-esque style to it. So it was a little hard to mm-hmm. accept him as this hard-living rock and roller even though there is a mercifully brief clip earlier in the movie of him performing a song in a music <laughs> video that it might be top five most ridiculous Eric Roberts moments ever put on film. Yeah, it's, um, you know what, I actually kind of buy the sort of laid back offstage persona because this is a man who is up in heaven getting apparently a lot of like angel groupie tail. Mm-hmm. They make a point of telling us. That's right. Um, who probably has done a lot of self-reflection since he died at the end of his own Christmas video. So <laughs> I actually really bought into that characterization. He uh, <laughs> he is the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> and Obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, for some goddamn reason. Um, and um, I... I the role, again, it's a very thankless role, but uh, he, he, at least he is playing a character that looks interesting, and yeah. uh, he does return at the very end of the movie along with the other ghosts. Uh, I do think, I kind of like the cynical way that it ended, because Beverly D'Angelo, who plays, um, who plays the main character's mother in the movie, she is also the ghost of Christmas Present, because she's passed on. Uh, she basically says at the very end that the epiphany that she's had won't last. <laughs> so all, yeah. all the work they did is for really nothing anyway, except for this kind of brief moment. <laughs> yes. And you know what? That's all those ghosts deserve because they were absolutely terrible at their jobs. They were pretty bad, especially that ghost of Christmas past. Oh, yeah. Which they never really explained how she, um, like, halfway through became corporeal and then got <laughs> uh, I mean, essays will be written about this, I'm sure. Well, they should be, yes. <laughs> Now, uh, despite the fact that we said that uh, all three ghosts were rather ineffective, this would be a good time to ask you, Sarah, yes. uh, whether this movie confirms or refutes the idea that Eric Roberts is the fucking man. 
Well, you know what? I'm going to remove the fucking because I think that's a little too emphatic for what's going on here. But I will say that he is the man in it because I, I think he um, really accepts the material for what it is and mm-hmm. gives it everything he's got. All things considered. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sarah. It sounded like you were being <laughs> critical of Eric Roberts there for a moment. So I had I to not. I had to mute you with some sleigh bells. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and watch out, Sarah. Here comes a snowball. Uh oh. <laughs> sounds exactly like a snowball. Yeah. It's done. That's what a sound a snowball sounds like. Sorry, please elaborate again. You would remove the fucking because he is just a man. No, I'd say he's the man. I just think fucking is too emphatic. Well, though his character is doing a lot of fucking. Yeah, in heaven. Right. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> and his kiss told us heaven's on fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently with like venereal disease from <laughs> Constantine, the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> Jesus can clear all that up. So no worries at all. It's another Christmas miracle. Another Christmas miracle. And what better way to end our discussion on All American Christmas Carol. Just had to think about the title there for a second. <laughs> uh, then, uh, then reminiscing about uh, the, the man himself, Jesus Christ, who of course died for your sins and my sins. Um, yes. And has left a uh, a legacy that has allowed us to enjoy holiday themed movies like Christmas in Compton and All American Christmas Carol. I uh, I actually will go one step above you because of that wig and because of yes. the way that Eric Roberts is able to maintain his composure while wearing the worst goddamn wig in the world. He just rolls with it. He man. rolls with it. That's Impressive. right. <laughs> then I'm just gonna say Eric Roberts. And maybe this is a Christmas miracle in and of itself. You are yes. the fucking man in the awful movie, <laughs> All American Christmas Carol. Uh, and uh, look, I'm a soft touch. Everyone knows it. But that wig is enough for me. He does his job admirably. He uh, he does not embarrass himself, which considering what he had to do and what he had to look like in this movie, that's that it's is quite feat. It yeah, is, it is quite the feat. In fact, I can tell just from your tone that you're starting to rethink that word fucking and whether you should reinsert it in your description of him in this You know movie. what? Um, let's just skip the three ghosts. I will learn the error of my ways and say yes, in fact. Spirit! Roberts is the fucking man in An All-American Christmas Carol. Very good. Very good. I like I like some sort of consensus. I really do. Especially <laughs> on our year-end episode. A very special yeah. episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And with that sense of specialness in our minds, let's go into our final break where we're going to then return. We're going to do a little bit of plugging. We're going to announce what we're going to be covering on the very first episode of 2016 and uh, find out where you can find out more about Eric Roberts and Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Why don't you come back with us right after this?
Roberts is the fucking man episode number 16 our special holiday episode is coming to a close sadly very sadly because Sarah I gotta say what a wonderful guest you are you told me before we started recording that this is your first podcast appearance yes ridiculous ridiculous yeah, I feel pretty good about my debut here. Yeah, you were really good. In fact, a little too good. I'm starting to suspect you're a ringer and that this is actually your 50th or 60th podcast. It's my first podcast. I was, however, on VH1 Celebrity Fit Club. Does that count? Tell me more, please, about what I you just said. I Maureen McCormick, How to Pillow Fight on Celebrity Fit Club. Dear Lord, why are we talking about fucking Eric Roberts on this stupid podcast when I could have been asking you about that the whole time. Well, I'll just have to wait for another episode. Sarah, can you please come back when we watch that ridiculous-sounding Eric Roberts faith-based MMA movie? Nothing would please me more. Sarah Kerchuk, you are one of the best guests we've ever had on this show. I'm not just I'm not just blowing smoke. I think that you are a fascinating person, but beyond that, I think you're a wonderful writer. And for people who are listening right now, who, of course, should want to check out your work, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, follow me on Twitter where I shamelessly plug everything. That's uh, at fodder figure, F-O-D-D-E-R figure. Um, and also at Risky Fuel where I share everything that I'm doing these days. Now what, RiskyFuel.com. What are you doing these days? Um, primarily, I would say my main gig is still at Fightland, which is Vice's mixed martial arts culture site where I write about mixed martial arts, but also just sort of any way that martial arts and pop culture intersects. And then I may film writer for Consequence of Sound, and then I show up randomly other than that. Now, I do know that you have a rather intense fascination with The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Why, yes, I do. But let's clarify the television show here, because the movie is an abomination. Well, you were able, because of the movie, to, yeah. uh, to and I, I'm not going to say simply because of that, but uh, it certainly allowed you to uh, spend a little more time focusing, I guess, on the series and your writing on the series uh, because of the attention that that movie was getting. Yeah, I managed to milk the uh, movie's release for a lot of work, which was really meaningful to me because that meant that almost 20 years of obsession was finally giving me actual money and validation in life. Um, yeah, and that I, you know, finally got to defend my long-term imaginary boyfriend, Ilya Kuryakin, <laughs> in a public sphere. Uh, I will, uh, of course, link in our show notes uh, the wonderful exploration of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. that you wrote for the A.V. Club. It really was very eye-opening to me, uh, someone who hadn't really explored that series in any detail at all. I don't think anyone could read that and not want to go out and watch a ton of episodes and probably never watch the movie ever. <laughs> I'm so glad. That that was like my number one goal. Is I wanted to get it out there that there's only one Elia and he's played by David McCallum and that, that movie is garbage. <laughs> And that Elia in the movie doesn't even have blonde bangs. It's just messed up. <laughs> the hair is really important. It sounds like it probably It's is. the most glorious hair. Like, if I were given a time machine, I wouldn't do anything meaningful with it. Like, you know, go back and kill baby Hitler or whatsoever. I would go back to 1967 and try to touch David McCallum's hair. Interesting. <laughs> fascinating revelations occurring on this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Now, if you do want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, please go over to ericrobertsistheman.com. You can check out older episodes with previous guests, as well as subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. You can also follow Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M, or you can join the Eric Roberts is the fucking man Facebook group. Just take a search for 
Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. Now, usually Todd Rickney would be here to say to follow him on on Twitter at the Film Fiend. So I'll say that for him. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. On the next episode, the first episode of 2016 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, we have another exciting guest. They're all exciting guests these days. This time, we will be talking about 2009's Amazing Racer. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> 2009's Amazing Racer, a.k.a. Shannon's Rainbow, featuring Claire Forlani, Michael Madsen, Louis Gossett Jr., Tom Atkins, Steve Gutenberg, and Eric Roberts, as well as the Uwe Boll film 2013's Assault on Wall Street, starring Dominic Purcell, Eddie Furlong, Keith David from Christmas in Compton, and one Mr. Eric Roberts. Now, that's exciting in and of itself. Those are two very different sounding movies. But our guest will be author, interviewer, Mike Sachs, the writer of Poking a Dead Frog, Conversations with Humor Writers, a uh, writer for Vanity Fair. Uh, his work is, I mean, you can find it all over the place. But those two collections he's released of interviews with comedians, uh, Poking a Dead Frog and his previous one, and Here's the Kicker, are some of the most amazing interviews you'll ever read with uh, people working in comedy, whether it be writers and performers. Really, he's just one of the, the, the... I feel actually really intimidated by the idea that he was interested in coming on the show at all, which is, of course, not to uh, suggest that I wasn't intimidated by having you on the show, Sarah. Uh, I just, sure. I'm just intimidated by a lot of people. But, uh, <laughs> but on the first episode of 2016, we will feature Mike Sachs discussing Assault on Wall Street, and what was that other movie? Amazing Racer. But until then, we'll have to put aside the Roberts Report, put aside the Eric Roberts Lifetime TV movies. We'll have to push that all to the background. We'll have to get together with our family, if you enjoy your family. You'll maybe crowd around the old MP3 box and listen to... All of the episodes of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man from our very first year, 2015. I promise you, listeners, that 2016 will mean bigger, brighter, and better things. And hopefully, a return to the show from Sarah Kirchark. Thanks again, Sarah, so very much. My pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. Your pleasure. Everybody's pleasure listening to us talk about Eric Roberts. Join us again in 2016. We love you, everybody. That includes Sarah. She loves yes, you too. Love you too. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.